study I put in two parts part one part two and the first part is called no respect and uh, in fact I gave the slide so much or so little respect that I didn't bother putting a picture up or anything I just kind of put the word no respect um, and I also subtitled it the son of God and the son of man no respect the son of God and the son of man and we're going to start this part of the Bible study, looking at Matthew 13, verses 53 to 58. So if we can get the first slide, please. We'll get right into it. And this is, a, I think, a sweet, simple Bible study. I'm going to hopefully just allow God to just kind of speak through, you know, through me and through us as we listen to these things and contemplate these things. Because um, it, it is a pretty simple message. Um, it's quite a serious message as well in the sense that of, of when we start to build and build and build to see how people responded to Jesus, you know, and his, how people received Jesus or how they rather didn't receive Jesus. It's quite a serious, you know, message. But it starts in verse 53 when Jesus had finished these parables. So there's our review right there. We've been talking about parables. You know, we're talking, we've already talked about a lot of parables. He's teaching his disciples, but he's teaching them, you know, amongst the mixed people. Because, again, I think there's disciples being made in the multitude. There's disciples being made amongst, and so them hearing and trying to figure it out. And, of course, like we said, you know, the parables are for the tuned-in ones. They're for the ones who have the spiritual understanding. And, yeah, but for those who don't, they just won't get it. But Jesus, he's still teaching, and he's using these illustrations. Um, and, and the thing is... His word's going out. He's teaching. He's instructing us on parables. And uh, at this point, we're going to see a, a shift in his approach. He's going to stop. We'll come, I've read a commentator who believes that he, at this point, actually does stop trying to convince people he's the Messiah. Because he's said enough. And the thing is, sometimes you say enough. And Jesus isn't going to waste his words. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's not going to beg and plead people who are stubborn. And are refusing him. He has done everything he needs. He's made us up clear. The miracles are there. The, the signs are there. The power, the wisdom, everything's there. Problem is, a lot of people like a show. A lot of people like fancy lights and fancy display. And, and in a sense, they want to make a mockery of Jesus Christ. But Jesus has come to make it very clear that he's a Messiah. Now, listen. Now, follow and so we're going to see his teaching, his ministry, everything kind of change a little bit from this point on. So here he is. He's finishing the parables up. And he's moving on. He's moving on. He's still in the area of, of Galilee. But he's moving from town to town to town. But as he's moving through town, I think if you look at a map, you'd see where the, where the, where the sea is there. He, he's kind of coming down to the, um, to the west, southwest. Because you can see his hometown of... Um, of um, um, Nazarene, thank you very much. Because Capernaum was where he stayed, he lived, and that was up here, but Nazarene is down here. Nazareth is down here, that's right. So he's coming down away. 
So he's coming to his hometown, Nazareth, um, not as where he lived and ministered, Capernaum, but where he was raised as a child, basically. And he began teaching the people in the synagogue. Okay? The synagogue, I, I just kind of want to talk about what the synagogue is. I, I did put a definition there. Um, and the definition says it's assembly of Jewish, of Jews rather, formally gathered together to offer prayers and listen to the reading and exposition of the scriptures. Assemblies of that sort were held every Sabbath and feast days. Afterwards, also on the second and fifth days of every week. Um, name transferred to an assembly of Christians formally gathered together for religious purposes. And the words comes about ecclesia, which is where we get the word church from. So we talk about church kind of in two different ways. We talk about church kind of the big C church, which is the body of Christ. But the ecclesia is how the English word small C church would come from, which talks about the synagogue or the gathering of people. Uh, again, a real, a real general definition would be just a, a getting together of people, just getting together, but with a very specific purpose. Very specific purpose. The purpose for the Jewish you know, um, um, synagogue is to get together to worship God, to learn. I mean, look at this idea of getting together to learn, to worship God, to turn to him, to receive from him, to, to, to interact with him. It, but isn't that kind of what we should be doing anyways as Christians? So that you can see the idea being passed on from this, the idea of a synagogue to the idea of church services, if you will. And here, I like this, there's no set rules, because I hear they kind of met special days, and then Sabbath, and then days during the week. So there was no set days, and that's cool. We all know there's no set days for church. We just mostly prefer Sunday mornings, because it's just a nice day. We're all off, it's, you know, it's... There you go. It's a good day to meet for church. But, but there is no real set days for church. The idea, however, goes, I believe, Jesus is confirming it by going to these meetings, to the synagogue, to teach. He, he, he acknowledges this. He respects that, you know, place of synagogue, which comes ecclesia. And also, so it's beneficial. It's, it's, it's important. We come to learn, to, to gather, to glean from, G, from God, you know. And so we can see it's an important place in, in, in the life of a person who follows after God. And so here he goes, he goes to the synagogue and he teaches them and they're amazed. Okay, they're amazed, they're blown away. Um, the, the word amazed, I believe, I didn't put this definition here, but when I was looking at it, it's almost like being knocked off. It's like, it's like if you're riding a horse or something and, you get, and you're in war and you get knocked off your horse. It's to be taken back, to be struck or, or, or to receive a blow from something. That's how powerful his teaching was. They come and he's teaching, they're like, whoa. Now, the reason why they're amazed, there's some context in it. And the context is they know who Jesus was or they think they know who Jesus was. And they're like, whoa, what's this guy doing? And we're going to deal with that in just a moment. So they, they asked. Where, and this is their quoting from them, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? So here's Jesus, no doubt about that. He's there and he's just blowing people's minds. And I'm gonna look at what this means, wisdom and miraculous powers. Um, first of all, wisdom is Sophia, um, which means, speaks wisdom in a broad sense, you know, full of intelligence, um, use of knowledge of various diverse matters. So it's, it is a broad word, which actually the Greeks love Sophia because they love the philosophy and whatnot. And they love wisdom and knowledge and yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also speaks of godly wisdom. So you have this, the, the Proverbs. The Proverbs where Solomon's talking about Sophia, wisdom. Of course, Sophia is Greek and he would use the Hebrew word. But still the idea of wisdom, which would translate into the Septuagint and other 
you know, into Sophia. Wisdom, you know, the pursuit of the, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of understanding and knowledge. So, so as Christians, you know, we, we, we do and we should have an appreciation of, of wisdom in a sense, you know, but not just in a broad sense, but a spiritual sense, it's in the complete sense. And then miraculous powers we have here as well. So here's Jesus. He's teaching. So he's using reason. He's using wisdom. He's using understanding. And, and he's communicating clearly. And they're receiving. They understand. Yeah, they're, 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 they get it. The words he's saying make sense. It's, but the words he says are also powerful. And that's, I think, where the miraculous powers comes in. Miraculous powers speaks of, it's, it's dunamis. One of my wife's favorite words, dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. It's explosive. It's powerful. It simply translates as strength, power, ability. Strength, power, ability. And the thing is, he's there, he shows up. And you know what it's like when, I might not be doing it now, but you know what it's like when you hear the word of God and it just comes across really powerfully and you're like, yeah. Or if you just open your Bible and you read verses and it hits you, yeah. I think that's kind of what's going on with him. He's teaching and he's teaching so well, and you can see God's spirit there touching people and trying to reach out to people, and it's just, there's no avoiding it. And it's powerful. I've got the, another bit of definition, which I couldn't type up there because it's so long, but I like what it says. This is about dynamis as well. Um, this is from Zodiades. Uh, it says, to be able, power, ability, achieving power, all the words derived from the stem dina having the meaning of being able, capable, and, and sometimes volitional or volitional ability. So again, it's just being able to do something. And the thing is, God is able, Jesus is able, His Spirit is able. And it sounds like a simple, basic lesson, doesn't it? But the reality is, I think we need to remember that our God that we worship and we serve and that we follow is able. You know, He has the power and He has given us His Holy Spirit, so we can too have the power, the ability to do things that he's asked us to do. Intrinsic power. This is an important element of it. It's because of intrinsic power, um, either physical or moral. Oh, that's, that's amazing, because power. It's not just physical. It's not just, here I am, strong, but it's moral. There's strength. There's a power in the morality, the rightness, the ethics of what he's saying. It's so good. It's so right that it's powerful. Of the body in power, it stands in opposition to in weakness, okay? Generally, a spirit of strength, meaning, <laughs> this is kind of a funny definition, meaning manly vigor. <laughs> this is kind of a funny way to put it. In opposition to a spirit of cowardice. And that actually is the reason why I like that, is because I thought it was kind of funny, but also quite illustrative. He, he, he wasn't a coward, he wasn't a what? Our Jesus, he spoke with boldness. His ministry was filled with boldness. He wasn't a coward. He had dunamis power. Manly power, as you put it, I think it's funny, by the way. But he was tough. He was, he was not afraid. Listen, Jesus knew the cross was coming. He knew rejection was coming. He knew that what was about to happen. He knew he was going to be betrayed, but he did not cower. Wow, how different would that be for us? I need a whole lot of encouragement from Jesus all the time. I need a whole lot of comfort from God all the time because I'm such a big wimp. Jesus was, our, the God who we serve, our Lord Jesus is powerful. 
And here he is, he's showing up to synagogues. He knows he's going to be rejected in his hometown, and I'm sure that breaks his heart, because he's also fully man, as well as fully God. And as a fully man, he held emotions, and he understood the fear of rejection and whatnot. And so here he is, he walking in the synagogue, knowing well enough, because he's also fully God, and he knows all things, that he's going to get rejected. So here he is. But he, imagine, you know what it's like when you walk in a situation, you know it's going to be ugly. He had that feeling, it's going to get ugly. But he still, because he's bold, and he's strong, he goes, I'm going to do it. And he walked in, and he preached. And the thing is, or he taught, you know, so he's teaching the people. So he's teaching, and his people are, and I'm going to go visit Luke in a moment. And what he did, is just people were just blown out of the water by how amazing his teaching was. But what blows me out of the water is they still refuse him. They still reject him. Next slide. And here's what they say in Matthew 13, 55. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother named Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where did they get this man, or where did this man get all these things? These things, of course, speaking of the wisdom, the power being observed. Where did he get these things, this wisdom, this great ability, and these, what, what's going on here? And they took offense at him. They took offense at what? What is this offense all about? And so I defined offense, because offense is a weird word to me. Like, how do you take offense to this, these things? Well, offense here is, is to put a stumbling block or an, an impediment in the way upon which another may trip, fall, metaphor to offend. So the reality is it's almost like, he, he, it, it, it's the, in, in a bigger definition way, it, it, it's, it, what it basically does, it, it draws a person away. So they're going one way, but, but, the, but the intent of the tripping up is to show a person's true nature, basically. That, 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 that's, a, that's a part of the definition which I really didn't put in there. But it's like, it's like if you were to trip up, how would you respond to it? If you, if you were to fall down, if you were to get, you know what I'm saying, how would you react to it? And here, the idea of, of tripping to offend, again, it's to provoke moral steering, you know, a, it, it, how are they going to respond? And, and, uh, and here we see the response to this is, it's, it's conflict. So here they have this thing in their mind that they're, they're struggling with. It's like, wait, wait a second. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this not Joseph's son? We know Joseph. We saw him as a little guy. We remember Mary. We know Mary. She still lives up the road here. And this is her boy. And then, the, she, by the way, she did have other children with Joseph. It's here in the Bible. I don't know how others can't see it. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Okay, here they are. What's, what's going on? Okay, here's his half-brothers, okay? Um, sisters as well, okay? They, see, Jesus was fully man. Jesus was fully God. What, what, what they can't conceive is that fact. They go, okay, this guy is doing some amazing things that only God could do. But we know he's also a person. Yes. Theologically, we have no problem with that. Yes, he is fully God. He's also fully man. And then Jesus responds, oh, actually, let's go, I, I put 1 Corinthians there because I think this is a very important, very important, and I think this pertains to our message very well. It says 1 Corinthians 1, 23, 25, we preach Christ crucified. This is Paul speaking here. We preach Christ crucified. That message, Christ crucified, is a stumbling block to the Jews. It trips them up. They don't like it. It's in their way. It's in the road, and it, it provokes anger and frustration because they can't make sense of it. And foolishness, the Gentiles. Again, the Gentiles, they love the wisdom. 
You know, they're, they're the Greeks and Romans, their philosophy, right? They love wisdom. So, but they see this cross business as being foolishness. But to those whom God has called, both the Jews and the Greeks, I don't care where you come from. I don't care if you're a Jew, if you're Greek, if you're Gentile. I don't care who you are. But if you have been called by God, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So the cross, speaking of, is Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So basically what he's saying here is this. Here's the Christ, the crucified, the cross, basically. And to those who reject it, it's offensive. It's silly. It's stupid. It doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. But to those who have been saved, those who have received Christ, those who have, as he says here, been called by Christ, it's power. Dunamis, right? And it's wisdom. Sophia. So you see the combination. Jesus came. He presented power. He presented wisdom. And he still does. The cross. The cross may look like a failure. The cross may look like a loss, but it's not. It presents, again, yet the power and the Sophia, the wisdom. So here what we see in this town is an utter denial of God. I mean, uh, like I said, he spoke well. He said enough. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He knows what's just right. He knows what's sufficient to get people to understand the fact that he's a Messiah. If they refuse it, it's totally because of their stubborn hearts like we spoke about in the past. So the denial of God, oh, we know Jesus. He can't be special. He can't be the Messiah. After all, we kin his father. I put some good scotch in there. You know, we know his dad. We know who he's all about. You know, he's, he's nothing special. Who does he think he is? You know what I'm saying? That's what's going on here. He grew up in our hometown. We know this guy. He's a punk. And they reduce him to just that. Next slide, please. So here we have Luke's account. Some commentators believe that this actually may have happened earlier. But to me, I think this looks like this could have been another take of what happened here. So whether it happened earlier or whether it happened the same time, I'm going to assume it happened the same time. So please assume that with me. It says here, Jesus returned to Galilee. This is Luke 4.14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about, his, about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. See, look at the response. Yes. Wow. Isn't he amazing? He says such wonderful things. He does such wonderful things. Isn't Jesus just good when he's pleasing us, when he's entertaining us, when he's giving us things? People love him when he's being fantastic. But then he went to Nazareth, where he, had been, where he had been brought up, where he was raised as a child. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as it was his custom, and he stood up to read, and, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, just take this in, guys. Take this in. This is what Jesus is saying here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me. He has anointed And we know how God anointed Jesus. He's chosen him. He, he, the virgin birth, the whole the sending of the Holy Spirit upon him at his baptism. He was chosen. He was anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. We know Jesus did that. He went out right away to the poor and the sick people and he preached to them and he gave them not bad news, not legalism, not the law, but good news. Salvation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Okay, 
People are bound by the spiritual darkness of this world. Jesus has come to break those chains. Recovery of the sight for the blind, physically and spiritually, right? To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you, if you go, this is from Isaiah 61, so I put that there for your information. If you go and read that, you'll see that basically what this is is the promise of the Messiah and the promise of the kingdom of heaven coming. The accessibility of, of God's kingdom, you know, his will being poured out, being brought up on the world, and it's an exciting time. So yes, this is amazing. And yes, this year is a good year. As Jesus comes and he starts opening his mouth and he starts, you know, presenting the, God's kingdom, this is a good thing. Then he rolled up the scroll. He went back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fasted on him. What's he going to say about this? Because usually at this point, somebody starts quoting other people. You know, Rabbi Session says, says this, and Rabbi Session says, says this, and, and they don't say anything definitive. They just kind of waffle about. Then he says this in his own words Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <gasps> oh, shocking. How arrogant. How proud can Jesus be? He's that wee guy who used to grow up and run down the streets and used to fall and get muck on. We know Jesus is a person. Don't forget, Jesus is a person. He had skin like we do. We're not Gnostics. In fact, Paul dealt with the Gnostics who said that Jesus was some kind of spirit being. He wasn't a spirit being. He was a person like you and a person like me. He didn't, he got dirty. He had to take baths and showers and stuff like that. Remember his feet were washed at one time? He didn't have some kind of magical like gel that kept him purely clean physically. He was internal. Morally, ethically, spiritually, right on 100%. He was a spotless Lamb of God, but he was a person. And people see the physical attributes of Jesus. You know, he had a snotty nose when he was a kid, you know. He, he may have, when he was working on the shop, maybe he hit his thumb and, ow, that hurts. You know, he made a, oh, he made a mistake. He gave me for, no, he, yeah, big deal. He hit his thumb. But in ter- morally, ethically, spiritually, he was 100%. You know what I'm saying? And so they can't figure that out. <laughs> They're like, wait, what's going on here? Today, the scriptures, and they understood. Now, that's why I put, now that is wisdom and power. I mean, he was bold. And you look at the response, the next one. It's a fickle response. All spoke well of him and were amazed. Oh, good lad, good lad. At the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Now, I don't know if we should take that in the negative sense or positive sense yet. But here, I love what Jesus says here. Because he ugh, goes right to the gut. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Because we know Capernaum, I mentioned earlier, that was, that was where he lived as an adult and ministered and whatnot. We want to see you do what you did up there. Don't forget, we are your people. You, know, you grew up with us. You, 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 really, you belong to us. We're, you, you know, you're a Nazarite. You know? you're, not, you're not a Capernaumite, you know? So we want to see things. And the reason why I, I, I highlight those words I did is because you'll say to me, physician, heal yourself. What does that mean? Well, that's cheek. You know, it's like, it's like, well, I'm glad you have your religion. You know, that's good for you, but we don't want anything of it. I'm glad, you know, it's like, the sla- it's a slap in the face. Basically, he's saying here is like, you know, I'm glad you're happy with your philosophy. I'm glad you're happy with your followers and your little thing that you're doing there, Jesus. But it's not for us. They're basically rejecting him. And, they're, they're, and this is the ultimate just, oh, disrespect and the mockery. Physician, heal yourself. That's good for you, but it's not good for us. We, we have other things. We're more sophisticated. 
and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you've done. Basically, we want to be entertained. They're going to treat Jesus like a, like a circus freak. Yeah, all that stuff we hear you do, here we go. Bring it on. Let's check us out. You know, let, let us investigate for ourselves. They want, you know what I'm saying? That there's no respect here. And then his response to them was this. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And by the way, this is believed to be a, a common proverb, actually, in, in, in the day and age there, you know. Uh, and I hate to say it, but I think it's kind of the case still. I don't know if you ever feel that way. It's like going back home and going back to your family, you know, and talking about Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. No respect. Well, that's Jesus receiving. No respect. Do you get no respect from your moms, your dads, your parents? You know, I know I had to move 5,000 miles away from my hometown just to get respect. And I still barely got it, you know. I mean, so, yeah, this is, this is a truism right here. So he says, I assure you that there will be many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When this, um, okay, this is him, of course, he's talking about Elijah. And, and so he's going back to the Old Testament, to a very well-known story. So again, I assure you that there will be many, that there were many, rather, widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there were a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, Elijah's precursor, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Cyrenian. So, interesting story here. He's talking about widows, very common problem, severe famine, but yet only one person was ministered to for a reason. Elijah, leprosy, you know, very common, rampant throughout the land, but yet one person was healed for a very specific reason. Um, and then, of course, the people are upset about this because they understand what he's trying to get at. He's like, I'm not here to entertain you. I've made, the miracles played an important part of his role, his authenticating the fact that he is the Messiah. They're not for our entertainment. So God's will, God's plan, it affects us all differently. Praise God that there was that widow who was fed. Praise God that there was that leopard that was healed. Jesus healed a lot of leopards. He healed a lot of sickness, a lot of blindness, a lot of spiritual oppression, a lot of lameness, a lot of, he healed a lot. But he was never intending on going around and healing every single person physically. Now, it's good when he does. What he's more interested in is the spiritual situation that's upon us, the moral situation that's upon us. The world needs Salvation. The world needs Jesus in a real spiritual sense. Now, we all know that we're going to get sick and we're going to get older and we're all going to eventually receive our calling home to Jesus. Um, so the reality is we, he could heal us for the time being, make us feel a bit more comfortable, but we all are going to have our time. But what's more important is that eternal self, the spirit, the soul. And, and so Jesus is concerned about that to be healed first and foremost. So here they're hearing this. Basically what he's saying to them is like, listen, I'm not going to do any miracles. I'm not going to play your circus clown. I'm not going to be your fool. And so the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up and drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Wow, they really love Jesus, don't they? But he walked right through the crowd 
and went on his way. No respect. No respect. So, kind of wrapped up this section, this part, and I hate to say it, I went a lot longer than I did. I don't know if I waffled or what, but or my expectations were crazy. But I'm going to do part two when I come back from, from our, our holiday. But we'll end with this kind of thought here. What are our expectations of Christ? Uh, what if he decided not to do things our way? And I, and I put it that way for a very specific reason, because we all have expectations, things that we would like God to do for us. <laughs> you know, I mean, for instance, I, I brought him up a couple times, but Miles, you know, we like to see how God has healed him and has done some amazing things for him. But, you know, I mean, he still screams a lot, he's got his behavior issues, and he's still struggling with balance, and I would like to have him healed 100% and run like his brother. But how's this feel about that? Is this okay with it? You know, is this okay with it? Because maybe, maybe, I don't know everything. I don't know anything, to be honest with you. God knows everything. God knows what's going on there. And he knows what he's doing. And he knows a long effort. Maybe, just maybe, you know, um, you guys have seen sliding doors. Or not. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like the little things in our lives, they, 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 they build the character of who we are for a very reason. And so maybe God wants to bless us with miles and his disability so that we can have character. And we can have the strength to minister, and you know, and bear in mind, I, I'm not blaming anything on Miles. Miles is, was wonderful, you know. But there's, there's not just that. But look in your own lives. What things concern you? Can you know that you feel like God has given you that maybe is a bit challenging? Bear in mind, the Bible does say that He won't test us or try us more than we can handle. It's for building character, building strength. God's going to do. God is doing something, but we need to submit to His will. So we have expectations. God, I'd like to have this. I'd like to have that. And I'd like to have nice white picket fences around my house and a big garden and, and you know, living a little farm off the side, you know, with some horses. And, you know, um, I want to be left alone so no neighbors would be great. You know, a couple fancy cars, you know, whatever, you know. And, yeah, you know, some, some financial independence. That sounds good, God. Come on, bring it on. But, Okay, that's your expectations, but you're probably going to not have those things. So get over it, number one. Number two, even if it's little things, I want good health, God. I want to be happy, and I want good health. What if he decides not to do that for you? It's possible, right? How is your heart going to change? How are you going to receive that? What if he decides not to do things the way we expect him? Will you throw him off a cliff, too? Well, I throw off a cliff. I know a lot of people who have had smaller things happen to them, I would say, in, in comparison, and, and they get bitter at God. You know what I'm saying? They go, well, how could there be a God? How could God be real if he allows these things to happen? And they get bitter. They get angry at God, and they want to throw Jesus off a cliff. The thing is, you can't throw Jesus off a cliff. He escapes. You know, he's all right. The cliff wasn't his cross. The cross is yet to come. But you know what I'm saying, though? You know what I'm saying, though? Oh, how fickle can we be? How, oh, we love you, God, when things are good. We love you, Jesus, when you're blessing us and we're singing together and we're happy and we're eating our food together, our picnics and barbecues, and just, ah, thank you when we're taking care of each other. God is so good. But then, bam, God, why'd you allow that to happen? I don't like you no more, God. I don't like you, Jesus. I can't believe you let that happen. Fickle we can be, you know. So quickly, people want to throw them off a cliff. So I think that's, we'll end with that. This is not where I wanted to end. But hey, again, maybe God wanted to say something that I thought he wanted to say and maybe he changed his mind last minute. Hey, it's the spirit. Sometimes he changes things on us. Again, my expectations were differently than his expectations. So let's end with it. 